Now today we're uh, finishing a series that Pastor Mark started last week called The Encourager. We're just talking about encouragement that I think falls under one of those categories. Kind of like if I were to say, uh, how many of you want to be known as a faithful person? Right? I mean, even if you don't want to, you're going to raise your hand because you know you're supposed to. Right? And most people want to, right? It's just one of those... You, nobody wants to be known, you know, that right there, that's the most unfaithful person I've ever met. Nobody wants that. Well, if I were to say, how many of you want to be known as a wise person? No, right, nobody's going to say, I want to be known as a stupid person. I want to be known as the one that makes terrible and dumb decisions, and I cut my own nose off to spite my own face. Nobody wants to be known, right? These are no-brainers. How many of you want to be accepted? Oh, yeah. It would be everybody. Nobody says, oh, I love rejection. I can't wait to get speared in the face with a good dose of rejection. Well, I think encouragement falls under that category of things everybody wants to be known for. Nobody wants to be known for, I'm the most discouraging person you've ever met. I can't wait till you'll have a good day. I look for people who are having a good day so I can just drag them down. Nobody wants that legacy, right? Everybody wants to be known it's an encourager. Dan Ryland uh, has been an executive pastor for probably 40 years. I heard him say recently, 51% of leadership is encouragement. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if he just made it up. But it says a lot, doesn't it? 51% of leadership isn't skill. It's not decision-making. It's encouragement. William Arthur Ward said, Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you, but encourage me and I'll never forget you. Isn't that right? The people that you remember are the ones that lifted you up. And everybody needs to be lifted up. If you follow Jesus, then the encourager is a powerful person who lives inside you who is constantly encouraging you to encourage others. Now last week we began this series called The Encourager and we talked about why encouragement is so important. And one of the main reasons that Pastor Mark gave to you is this that I thought was uh, insightful and powerful. People are hurting far more than you know and far more than they show. Maybe you remember the book I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, written by Stephen Covey, who's kind of a leadership expert, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He tells a story about one Sunday morning when he was on a subway in New York. The cabin was peaceful until a man uh, and his children entered the subway, and the kids were so loud and rambunctious it just instantly you know, changed the climate, just shattered the peaceful climate of the cabin. And the man sat next to Stephen Covey and closed his eyes, oblivious to how rude his kids were being. The children were yelling and throwing things and snatching newspapers out of people's hands as they were reading them. And the tension in the cabin rose to such a fever pitch that Stephen Covey, Covey finally turned to the man and said, Sir, your children are bothering a lot of people. Do you think you could help calm them down a little bit? And the man lifted his head up as if he noticed them for the first time. And softly he said, you know, 
you're right. I, I guess I should do something about it. But we just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. And I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know what to think either, and they don't know what to do. And he said, in that moment, he had a paradigm shift. He didn't see a man with kids that are out of control. He saw a family that was hurting more than he knew. And can I just tell you, the people around you are hurting more than we know and more than they show. So that's kind of the backdrop of this, of this series. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and 15, we read from last week. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now today we're going to continue with the next few verses that come immediately after those. Now instead of talking about, um, here are some things you can do to encourage people, or here are some practical ways you can encourage people, um, what we're going to do is look at what kind of person would you and I need to become to be an encourager? Not the soft skills, but what kind of person would you and I need to become to be an encourager? And when I read these next few verses, they're very short, what I want you to do is look for what are the kind of things that you and I, what are the kind of character traits you and I can take on in order to become encouraging people? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-19. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. So here's what an encourager looks like. They look like a person that rejoices always, prays continually, gives thanks in all circumstances, and does not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you may already know this, but in case, uh, in case the Bible is newer to you, most of the New Testament are actually letters, the books, we call them books, they're letters that are written to churches. Uh, a lot of them are written by Paul the Apostle, who was a church planter. He planted churches all over the world. And oftentimes, in, in an effort to encourage one of the churches he planted, he would write a letter back to that church. And we have those letters that provide a, a foundation to understand Jesus and the church and everything else. And so this is no different. 1 Thessalonians is a letter written to a church that he had planted in the city of Thessalonica. And so it's the, it's the letter to the Thessalonians the Thessalonian Christians at Thessalonica, this uh, city is a giant city. It's a capital city in the region. There were about 200,000 people there, which would have been a huge city at that time. And, and it has a huge population, a strong population of Jews. Now, Paul started a brand new church in this city, and a, a lot of uh, scholars believe that this church is somewhere around six months old, probably for sure not over a year old. This is a baby church. It's just starting. So Paul wrote this young church this letter to encourage them because they were being persecuted. People were making fun of them and trying to make life hard on them and downing them because of their faith and their Christianity. And he was concerned that they would be strong enough in their infant faith, their young faith, as young as this church was, that they would survive it. 
that they would keep their faith and keep walking with God, keep believing. So he sent this letter to encourage them. He's writing to encourage them, but he's also writing to tell them the kind of people that they're going to need to be to encourage each other because they know they're going to need it because of their environment. Now, let me read it again and this time hear it through the eyes of Paul the Apostle, this, you know, this uh, church leader who's writing to a baby church that's just getting started. Listen to it again. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. It's not so much what an encourager does that's critical. It's who they are. You can learn the soft skills of encouragement, but encouragement is something that best functions as an overflow of your own life. So this morning, let's look, kind of unpack those characteristics of an encourager. Number one, an encourager is a person that chooses joy. You remember this verse that says, always be joyful. The root word for joy is the same root word for grace and gift and forgiveness. When we experience the gift of God's grace and forgiveness in our own life, it overflows and exudes in joy. And that's how we are born into this relationship with Jesus. But over time, we get distracted and forget. That's why in Psalms, David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I've not lost my salvation. I've lost the joy of it, though. You ever been there? Well, I've been there before. If you hadn't been there, you hadn't been saved long. Because you'll get there. Because life will beat it out of you. How can you and I choose joy? And I love this idea. Look, joy is a choice. Maybe we can say it another way. It's an opportunity that God gives to every believer based on salvation. So how do we choose joy? Focus on God instead of your circumstances. If you attach your joy to your circumstances, you will ride a roller coaster of up and down all the time because I don't know if you noticed, life just won't behave the way we want it to. It tends to be a series of ups and downs and ups and downs. So I like to say it like this. What's worth trading your joy in for? You have a flat tire? Would you trade your joy for a flat tire? You have a bad day? Would you trade your joy for a bad day? You're running late? Would you trade your joy for running late? You get a bad grade on a test? Do you trade your joy for a bad grade? Your boss chews you out? Do you trade your joy for that? What will you trade your joy for? Joy's a choice. So the next time something presses on you, I want you to back up and think, is this worth trading my joy in for? Let me not exchange that, right? How do you choose joy? Focus on God instead of your circumstances. Focus on the unchangeable rather than the changeable. Focus on the invisible rather than the visible. And what happens when you choose to focus on God? You're focusing on someone who loves you, who is in charge, who has unlimited power and wisdom, who is faithful, and whose eternity, your eternity is safe in his hands. He wants to draw you close and he has a plan for you. The next time you're at a funeral, uh, if you'll listen closely, 
I doubt you're going to hear very much about um, the person's retirement or how they dressed or what kind of car they drove or what kind of stuff they owned. You're probably not even going to hear much about their job or their title. What you probably will hear the most about are relationships. You're going to hear about how they treated people. What kind of person were they in terms of the impact they had on the people around them? And most of the focus will be on things that we cannot see. You know why? Because the closer you get to the end, the clearer things get. And the most encouraging people that you know of in life are the ones that see clearly before they get close to the end. They choose to live a life focused on eternal, invisible, unchangeable things, and their well-being is centered in God, and as a result, they have chosen joy. So I've got this little statement I want to give you this morning. An encourager looks on the bright side because they live on the bright side. That's good, isn't it? An encourager looks on the bright side because they live on the bright side. A man dropped by to watch a Little League baseball game, and he was trying to catch up, so he asked one of the kids next to him who was on the team, he said, hey, uh, what's the score? And he said, 18 to nothing, we're losing. And, and the, the guy looked at this spunky little kid, and he said, well, you don't look very discouraged. He said, discouraged? Why would I be discouraged? We hadn't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> we hadn't even had a turn. What are you talking about discouraged? It's way too early for that. Encouragers look on the bright side because they live on the bright side. Where do you live? In the end, encouragers are so encouraging because they have learned to encourage themselves. Have you learned to encourage yourself? That's what choosing joy is all about. Number two, encouragers are the kind of people that pray often. Paul said it to this little baby church, pray continually. I don't know how that sounds to you. To me, it sounds like a lot. Are we supposed to quit our jobs and just pray all the time? How do you pray when you sleep? Do you dream pray? Do you, you know, set it on autopilot and then wake up and it's, it's there? How, do you, how, do you, how would you conduct life if you prayed all the time? Isn't that for like monks and nuns? Like how are the rest of us going to do that? Well, continually is an interesting word, and it's used in other Greek literature for a hacking cough. How many of you ever had a hacking cough? Yeah? It just, it just won't go away, will it? If you're talking, the minute you stop, <laughs> you start coughing, right? The minute you wake up in the morning, you had not been coughing all night, you wake up, you start coughing. Uh, if you're doing something, the minute you stop doing it and lose your focus, you start coughing. That's why it's worse at nighttime because there's space for it. Pray continually means when you stop doing whatever you're doing, do your thoughts gravitate toward God and do those thoughts turn into little prayers? That's what pray continually means. God wants a relationship with you. Do you have conversations with God? Do you find yourself turning to God in little prayers throughout the day? After I graduated from high school, I worked at a hospital, a giant hospital. It had 32 miles of hallways in it, and my job was to transport patients, so I walked all the hallways every day. Not every day, but eventually I covered all the hallways, uh, and I walked all day. And in those hospital hallways, 
The Holy Spirit taught me to pray continually. That's where, that's where I learned what it meant. Because a lot of the times I was alone. I had to park four city blocks away and walk. And as I would walk into work every morning, I would pray. And as I would walk out to the car, I would pray. And oftentimes I would be going up to the 19th floor or under the ground to another wing across the street or somewhere else and I was alone and I would pray. Sometimes I would transport patients that didn't want to talk. And if they didn't want to talk, I would pray quietly, you know, so maybe they couldn't hear me. I would pray when I rode up the elevator. But in that season, I learned a couple things about prayer that have stuck with me. It's not about how good you pray, but about how often. Some of my prayers just weren't good, I guess. I don't know how I'd know that. It didn't sound good to me. But it's not about how good you pray, it's about how often. And I prayed a lot. Also, I learned that prayer's not about the result, it's about the relationship. You got those people that are almost like prayer gunslingers. You know what I'm talking about? They got their prayer gun on their hip at all times. And you come up with something, they go, have you prayed about it? (sighs) You know what I'm saying? Have you prayed about it? They got one on each hip. And you say, shut up. Oh, I haven't prayed about it. But I get the feeling to them when you say yes, they say, well, what happened? What's the result? Like God's a lever. The lever's ready. You pull the lever, something comes out. And I get the feeling they're not expecting an answer something like this. Did you pray about it? Yes. What happened? I got closer to Jesus. That's it. Seated to us, the result is the point of prayer. Let me say it this way. To us, prayer is a means to an end. To Jesus, it is the end. It's the point. It's the reason. There is no what happened. (laughs) What happened is the extra. It's not the point. So the next time you're on your way in a meeting and you don't know what you're going to do, whisper a little prayer. Jesus, I'm... I need your help today. I don't really know what's going to happen, and I don't know what to do. But I'm glad you're with me today. Remember when we sang that song? When you walk into the room, everything changes. Well, he's already there. You just have to acknowledge that. When your marriage is struggling, or you're having a relationship problem, or you don't know how to parent, don't know what decision to make, just stop for a minute and whisper, Lord, would you help me? I need you. And, and it's in those conversations that your relationship grows. The next time that you just have extra time you didn't know you were going to have, rather than trying to jump ahead on the next project, why don't you say, you know, Jesus, um, I got a little space here I didn't know I was going to have. I just want to be with you for a minute. So I'm just going to be with you for a minute. And just talk to him. And tell him Whatever. The content of your prayer is not what's going to change the earth or heaven or your life. It's the regularity. It's the relationship that goes back and forth. It's not about saying certain prayers. It's about being aware of God's presence with you at any moment and being with Him. People who often pray 
And people who are aware of God's presence are awesome encouragers because they are continually being encouraged by God's presence. Because they're aware that God's with them. Number three, always thank God. Give thanks, Paul said, in all circumstances. I'm so glad this verse doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. Because there's some circumstances I am not so grateful for. There's some bad things and some painful things that happen, and I'm not grateful for them at all. I'm kind of frustrated about them, if I'm honest with you. Some of you know Terry Denard, uh, who passed away yesterday. He and his sweet wife, Anita, have been a part of our church for a long time, and Anita has just battled through the pain of her husband's suffering, and he had a terrible kind of cancer, and it just was so aggressive, and they did everything they could do, and they just couldn't get it to respond the way they wanted. And I, I saw Anita post something Friday on Facebook that grabbed my attention. She said this, I will be rejoicing when God throws cancer into the deepest pits of hell where it belongs. Anybody that's ever had a run-in with cancer would feel that. You can't ask her to be grateful for cancer, right? You can't ask her to thank God for cancer because it's evil and it's not from God. But Pastor Mark and I were over at their house yesterday just a few hours before Terry passed away. And Anita said something that caught my attention. She said, you know, uh, Terry, uh, her husband, she said he only had two jobs his whole life. And he loved both of them. He was an auctioneer and a cowboy. And if you knew Terry, he was the real deal. He was a for real cowboy. Wasn't a commercial. He was, it wasn't Halloween costume. He was a real cowboy. And she said he loved both his jobs. And how rare it is that a person gets to love what they do so much. And she said he was so blessed and God was so good to him. Did, did you catch that? We don't thank God for cancer. But in the middle of cancer, we thank God that he's been so good. In every circumstance, give God thanks. Not for every one of them. And the people that have learned to thank God in every circumstance are so encouraging. And you know who they are? They're regular people who are sitting behind you or in front of you this morning who just live everyday, ordinary lives. They're in your life group. They serve on a ministry team with you somewhere. And when you're hurting... Go to them because they've learned to be grateful to God in every circumstance and you and I are going to find ourselves in some circumstances that we are not grateful for. These are the people I turn to when I'm hurting because their gratitude has made them such powerful encouragers. You might not be aware of this. Pastoring can be discouraging might be like a newsflash to you. I don't know. You take the human race who's been permanently scarred by, I don't know, depravity, 
and you stick them all together in one spot and try to make a church out of them. It's not the easiest thing. It might appear that way. And so when I get discouraged, I, I draw back off. Years ago I started this, and I've got two or three of them. I've got a little folder, and on the top of it it says encouragement. And if you've ever sent me, you know, a little letter or an email or a note or a card, it's probably in here. And every now and then, I pull it out and I read it. Because some days things don't go the way that I wish they would. And some days people don't go toward God. Some days people go away from God. Those are discouraging days. Some days I just pull those out and I read them. Can you see how thick that is? That's not even all of them. I'm not the best at keeping up with things. But you know, I got a lot of encouragers in my life. I got a lot of people who say things and pray and raise my hands up when they're too tired for me to lift them and send emails and text and little, little emojis, you know, fun little emoji faces. Anybody ever get any little fun little emoji faces? And I lean on them. You know why I lean on them? And I lean on you. You know why I lean on you? Because you've learned, many of you've learned to give God thanks in every circumstance. I hope you have somebody in your life like that. Here's the last one. Number four, do not discourage the encourager. It, it, Paul said it like this, do not quench the Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is your helper He's your comforter. He's your guide. He has moved into your heart to encourage you. Don't discourage him. <laughs> don't, don't prevent him from doing what he wants to do. I'm not saying if you make one wrong move, oh, it's over. The Holy Spirit, like a little bird, has been chased away and he's gone. That's not what I mean. He's not that fragile. And he's not that unfaithful, and he's not that unloving, and he's not that uncommitted, and he's not like us. He won't just get offended and run away. What I mean by that is, when you know God is speaking to you and you say no, you're pouring cold water on a fire the Holy Spirit's trying to ignite. And you're saying, I don't want you to encourage me, and I don't want you to use me to encourage anybody else. And Paul's saying to this baby little church who's gone through some hard times, hey, you're going to need some encouragement. And by the way, we got just the thing. The member of the Trinity who lives on earth called the Holy Spirit who moved inside you when Jesus went to heaven. He's the encourager. Don't quench. Don't discourage don't try to put out the fire he's trying to build and if you read on to the next verse Paul specifically mentions prophecy which is one of the gifts of the Spirit now just stay with me for a minute these verses give us every reason to believe that the Holy Spirit wants to flow through our lives in supernatural ways to encourage others as he encourages us but it doesn't happen when we quench his work, when we discourage what he's trying to do. I, I, think, I think sometimes we've messed this all up. Uh, particularly in churches that believe 
in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, sometimes the way we do it is discouraging to other people. Thus says God. <laughs> like somebody just hit a metal pole with a baseball bat, it just rings through your spine. <laughs> It's not the delivery that changes anybody's life. It's the content. And we got to get over that. Last weekend, I went on a backpacking trip with our teenage leaders. And, uh, of course, the day before we left, I'd been running too hard and was too tired. And I think it caught up with me. And I got really sick the day before we left on a backpacking trip through the woods in the cold. And so I just had this terrible head cold as we just strapped up and went. And that first night, it was a little colder than it was supposed to be. <laughs> and what I mean by a little was a lot. It was a lot colder than it was supposed to be. And I didn't have quite the gear I was supposed to have. So I laid there in that little hammock and I shivered throughout the night. And I was praying, Jesus, let the sun rise. <laughs> God. You said your mercy's new every morning. How about now? <laughs> and I was sick, and I had this head cold, and everything was clogged up. You know when you roll over the night, you can breathe out one side, then you roll over the way, you breathe out the other side? Yeah, that was all night. And so I didn't sleep. And the next day, we hiked over 10 miles uh, with the big 30-pound backpack on. I didn't get much sleep. I was sick. It felt miserable. Got to the campsite. We set everything up, and this, like, wind was beating on us. It was a little warmer that night. That was good. And we were around the campfire, and uh, Jeremy, our, our youth pastor, is leading the team, uh, just kind of organized this prayer time between the leaders and the students. And um, so I was over there kind of off to the side trying to pray, but, you know, my body was aching. I was tired. My head was stuffed. And I thought, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is going to work for me. And um, I was praying, and, and I was just saying, God, is there somebody you want me to pray with here? And, like, I got nothing. Like, I got nothing. I got head cold and sore calf muscles and no sleep, and I, didn't, I felt bad. But as I, as I sat there just for a minute, I got this little nudge, and I acted on it. And this word kept coming to my mind about this one teenager, and the word was believe. And so I pulled him off to the side, and I said, hey, I, is it okay if I pray with you? Yeah. And I thought, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just, you, you, you know when you get sick and you're delirious? You know, I thought, I don't even know. I'm having an out-of-body experience here. I'm not even sure I'm here still. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, I just, when I was thinking about you, this word believe kept coming to my mind. And I just feel like God want you to believe him even though you struggle with a lot of doubts. And he looked at me and started to smile and he said, you have no idea what that means to me. You have no idea. He goes, somebody told me the same thing a week ago. I've been struggling with that so much. And he just started to cry. <laughs> and I started to cry. And that night, when I laid down in my hammock, I looked up at the stars, and I said, God, thank you. In my weakness and in my sickness, 
thank you for helping me not to quench the Spirit. Look, if it's weird, weird's on you. Jesus doesn't do weird, you do weird, I do weird. But don't quench the Spirit. Because the Spirit is life. The Spirit wants to flow in you and through you. He's the encourager. And I'm so glad that night God helped me. Because I didn't feel like I had anything to give. And boy, that's a good word too, isn't it? You don't have to have anything. He's got everything. <laughs> All you have to do is sort of wait and listen. Just let, him, let it happen. So I got a question for you this morning. Um, is your relationship with Jesus close enough that you can feel the Holy Spirit nudge you when he wants to encourage somebody else? You need that kind of relationship and the people around you need for you to have it because it's encouraging, strengthening. I want to ask you just to stand with me this morning and I want to ask our prayer team to come and if you just find a, a place, we're going to pray. That's all we're going to do is pray. If you'd find a place that you could stand still and close your eyes, that's all you have to do is just kind of stand still and close your eyes. We'll dismiss in just a minute. Nobody moving around. If you'd, if you'd all just close your eyes, I just want you to kind of shut off the visual so you can focus on the invisible. This is really the most important moment of the whole day. This is kind of that moment that we sang about when Jesus walks into the room. Everything changes. Did you know that the encourager is here today? And he usually doesn't speak very loud. You have to kind of listen. I wonder this morning... Who in this room he's trying to encourage? I wonder who in this room is going through things that we don't see. You usually can't see it. Maybe today you're one of those people that just needs to make a choice for joy. Maybe you just say, I need today to choose joy and to put my eyes on Jesus and move them away from the circumstances. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, I need to choose joy today. I need to choose joy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's a good confession to make. It's good for your soul. It frees your soul. Everybody's been there at some point. Maybe it just so happens today's that day for you. Anybody else? I need to choose joy today. I need to choose joy. M maybe you're here and you're in painful circumstances and... It's just time for you to give God thanks. Even though you're in the middle of pain, there's something about God's goodness working in your life, but it's so hard to see because you're overwhelmed by difficult circumstances. And He's just calling you today. Come on and give thanks to Him today. You'd be surprised what will happen in your soul when you shift and begin to give Him thanks. Is that you? Would you lift your hand and say, I, I need to give God thanks today. Everything's not perfect. Everything's not the way I wish it was. But you know what? I need to give God thanks today. Come on. Come on, just lift your hand for a minute. Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Now, here's the last thing. 
Maybe you've been discouraging the encourager and he's whispering to you today and it's time to let the encourager work in your heart. I don't know how to define that. I just know that if he's doing that, you sense it. There's a little nudge you're feeling in your heart that I need to let the Holy Spirit work in me somehow or another. The way I've lived or the choices I've made or the busyness or something. Somehow, I've discouraged his work in my life and I can feel him calling me today to encourage his work in my life. How many of you would say, that's me today? That, I'm telling you, God is working today. Don't discourage him. Don't discourage that move right there. Because that's the one that will bring freedom and joy and everything else. Come on, just lift your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what I want you to do. If you lifted your hand, I want you to step out right now and come to one of our prayer teams. And Jesus is going to begin to move in your life. Things are going to begin to shift. Things are going to begin to change. Come on, from all over the room. You had several hands went up. A few dozens hands. I want you to come right now. Come right now. Come right now. And you let the Holy Spirit, you let, He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. He's the encourager. The worship team begins to sing. I want you to come from the balcony, the front. Just come to one of our prayer teams. Say, would you just pray with me? Maybe you say, I'm going to choose joy today. Would you pray with me? Pray with me. I'm going to choose joy. Pray with me. I'm going to give thanks. Pray with me. The encouragers are working in my life. And I want to do everything I can do to let him have his way. You need to meet Jesus today. I want you to come for prayer. Come right now. Nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. We worship you. Come on, if you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. Come right now. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not signing up for anything. We just want to pray for you. Courage.
prayer team is going to stay and wait for a minute. We'd love to pray with you today. It's very important that when you come to church, you meet Jesus. You don't just fill a square. We want to help you do that. Our worship team is going to sing that through again. And we're going to let you go. I want to encourage you to come tonight. We're soaked. We're going to share communion. It'll be a great time of Thanksgiving.